So do you remember March 2020 when we had the first lockdown? And, um, and at that time, I think maybe we'd done one week. Anyway, I just remember thinking we are doing fruit of the spirit. That was our topic we were looking at, our theme. There are nine of them. We'll do nine video Sundays and then we'll be back. You know, we'll just be back to normal. So that was uh, really funny. So I think kind of like May time, we just had this sense of, uh, you know, that there was something that God had already been calling us to and been doing with us for five years, that, it was a, that this was an opportunity to start pushing into that. And I say this because uh, we're about to do the last series. I, I feel for, for 18 months, all we've been talking about is like, this is how we want to re-understand church. We want to think about church in a different way. We want church to become, we want to think about what are we trying to achieve with church and then design all of our activities around that end. And really for 18 months, that's what we've been talking about. And so I'm so looking forward. This is the last series that we're going to do to get to the end of that. And then, you know, on that journey. So we decided that actually church is meant to be, Jesus gave us the church for discipleship, and we just we knew we were on that journey. We didn't know. I know it would be nice to think you have church leaders who know every, you know, they know what's going on, and then they just tell everyone. And but we were learning as we went along. So we thought about what even is a disciple, and we said a disciple. We there was this process of three stages: a disciple who someone's growing and developing their own relationship with God. And then that relationship with God starts to saturate their whole life. We have less of a religious life and our church life and our church activities and then the rest of our life. We understand that God is involved in the rest of our lives. And then that overflows from us into the world around us, into people and situations and makes a difference to the world around us. That is what Jesus came. He said, go and make disciples. And that's what he was thinking. These are people who are going to understand how amazing God is and how wonderful God's love is for us that then that just transforms our whole life, not just our religious activities, but our whole lives. And then it overflows and brings change. And for 2,000 years almost, that's what's been going on and spread all across the world. And we are here today, you know, believing in Jesus because that process has happened from this out-of-the-way, obscure part of ancient history to uh, Exeter in 2022. So we said that's what discipleship is, and we said a good way to understand what it is to know if we're doing this, because, you know, like, how do we tell that this is happening, is not to look at our activity, how many times are we turning up to this, are we good attenders at that, how well, how much information do we know? A good way to think about it is, as we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus was incredibly secure. You know, he was never pulled out of himself, he never had to defend or self-justify he never pretended he was something he wasn't he never got like insecure and like you know you know embarrassed all those things because he was so at the root he knew he was he was fully secure as we said security is a really good way to think about the work that God's doing in us because it makes us look at our inner lives our heart not just our activity so we said there are these five areas of security that are good for us to think about how secure are we in God? How much do we really believe that he loves us and we don't have to earn it, that he's not disappointed, he's not tutting, he's not waiting for us to do something before he will start loving us. He just loves us so much. How secure are we in the good news or the Bible word for that is the gospel? How secure are we that God is working good? So even when we hit tough times, we think 
no, no, I know that God has good in this. I'm not going to, you know, the, the modern word for that would be resilience. How, how resilient are we because of who God is? How secure are we in church? Do we know that this is our community that we can belong to, that we come as we are? We don't have to put a mask on and pretend that we have everything together and we, we have perfect. We don't have to hide. It's a place where we can be vulnerable and real. And uh, I'll just skip the next one. And how secure are we in mission? How comfortable do we feel for, people to, for our faith to kind of overflow and touch other people's lives, touch other circumstances? Are we still embarrassed? Are we, uh, you know, uh, in the closet with our faith? You know, do people know... You know, all these things. So we've done a series uh, for a while looking at that, each of those things. Being secure in God, we talked about how much he loves us. The good news for that, we talked about uh, what happens when, you know, glory and eternity and just how wonderful that is. Um, Securing Church is the one we just did where we were looking at these discipleship groups. That's how we ended up with these three environments that we think church works best in. We do this all together. We celebrate, we come together and... Uh, you know, there's uh, resources put in, people practice and prepare, and we have people set up stuff, and then we have hubs, which are communities, smaller communities that do church over food, have a meal together, we get to know one another, we have those WhatsApp groups with prayer requests and all those sorts of things, and then the last element that we looked at securing church were these discipleship groups, smaller groups, three, four, five people who are actively going to the Bible and asking God to nudge them and say, what, what, is he, what, what are you putting your finger on in my life and what am I going to do about it? What do you want me to do? What am I going to do about it? Uh, and secure a mission, we did that when we did Joy Fest in the summer. We were just talking about how do we overflow the goodness. So we are now doing, this is our last one, secure in everyday life. This is what we're going to talk about up till Christmas and then... Uh, and then we're going to stop talking about this and make, like, how churches. And we're just going to, then we can do like book studies, theme studies. But obviously this is what we want to do from then on, is just learn how to live in this new way that we think about church. These three environments, uh, what God's doing in us, what it is to be a disciple, not just an attender. How we want to value um, us being discipled, apprenticing how to live like Jesus, rather than just knowing more information about God. So... We are going to do this series, Secure in Everyday Life. And I think this is really important. You know, those other, all those other ones, securing God, securing good news, church, and mission, they feel Goddy kind of areas of our lives. Those are areas that we think of as God. But it's so easy to live and not think of our everyday lives as a God part of our life. We can just think of this is how, I'm just getting on with my life now, I just need to do this. It's kind of the normality of our life and um and we need to learn to find god in there and actually i think this is the most important area in some ways because this is the area where i think discipleship happens where we are learning to live like jesus have did where our faith and discipleship has worked out in real time and so it's about experiencing that and believing it believing it with our hearts not just knowing the information so there's this is a very famous psalm. Uh, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. You know, we often know the information. We know that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. We know how to answer the question. It's another step to believe that so that we think, even when I answer emails from my boss, 
you are there. Even when I am mowing the lawn, you are there. When I walk the dog, you are with me. You know, all these things is just, that's what we want to do is we want to start to increasingly believe, live out, experience the reality of God's presence in all the time. And the everyday, to think about the everyday, it is the opposite of dramatic stories. And dramatic stories are fantastic. We love them. They are important. The Bible is full of dramatic stories. And church, often we center on dramatic stories. This was one of my things that I found difficult when I first became a Christian. And then ever since I became a Christian is I would be sitting and I never sat at the front. I would always sit like near the back and people would tell dramatic stories of what God did when they were queuing for the bank or when they were on a flight, you know, and how they did these amazing things and these healings. And those are good, encouraging stories. But I would always just think, I just don't even know how to do that, you know. And so I would just feel inadequate and, uh, you know, and just um, overwhelmed by it. And I think the danger of these of just talking about these dramatic moments is that becomes the expectation of what that is what normal Christianity should be. And so then we think that we're not because we're not having those. So we kind of feel like, well, I'm not quite good enough, you know, and other people are, and I'm glad for them. And then I think we carry this over. Sometimes we can have this unthinking idea about Jesus that his life was just constant dramatic moments. Um, and that every second of the day, he was like casting out demons, healing the sick, you know, like laying down this amazing, you know, shutting up these silly arguments with these amazing insightful wisdom. You know, all these things that were going on. Um, but I, I don't think that's true. I know it does say in the Bible, if we wrote down everything Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough uh, pay, books in the world to do that. The, at the end of the Gospel of John, it says that. So there, obviously he did more, but I don't think every second of the day that was going on for him. Jesus was fully human so he did go to the toilet, and he did sleep, and you know, so those the, he was involved in everyday life. Um, and in fact, what we read as his dramatic stories happened in the midst of Jesus's everyday life. He was walking from one place to another. He was commuting, or he was having dinner, or he was going to, you know, he was at a wedding. These sorts of things. It was normal everyday life that we have, but we tend to just focus in on the dramatic event and think that that's all that. That's the most important thing. And so I think the real work of orienting our lives around Jesus doesn't happen in the dramatic, because it's easy in the dramatic to orientate ourselves around Jesus. It happens in the everyday lives. And we don't have this information, but I think we can probably imagine. But, you know, how did Jesus act in the everyday? You know, he he started his ministry at the age of 30, so for probably uh, like 16 years or something, he would have been working in the construction industry, it looks like. And uh, so how did he live his everyday life when someone didn't pay a bill on time? Or uh, he got some delivery of materials and they were faulty? Or his colleagues fell out with each other? Or he hit his thumb with a hammer? All these things, Jesus would have done those. And that's what we, you know, we can imagine how he reacted because we have an idea of his character. That's what we are wanting to learn for ourselves. C.S. Lewis writes this in Mere Christianity. He's talking about uh, good and evil, but I think it's, it's this same thing about orientation. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. 
The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which, a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparent trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. He wrote this just after the Second World War, or during the Second World War. So, um, but that idea that these everyday choices we make are actually incredibly significant. And I don't think, I think if we want the dramatic uh, in our lives, it starts with being orientated in the everyday that allows us to be open, ready, uh, to notice and uh, expect the dramatic to happen because our everyday is orientated around Jesus so today we're going to look at a passage in Colossians, and Paul, writing to the church in Colossae, says this, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and then he goes on to a number of other like, amazingly important things. But I think if you put them all together, it's just too much for us to comprehend. And we just kind of, uh, f- you know, it becomes a bit fuzzy. So I stop there. But you can go and read the rest of that. So we see here again this idea that we talked about of like how do we spiritually grow? Where do we get our nourishment from? And Jesus' example in John 4, he says, when the disciples say, oh, maybe someone's brought him food, because he says, I'm not hungry. Maybe someone else has brought him food. He says, my food is this, to know and do the will of him who sent me. And that's what we say, the discipleship questions, what's God saying, what are you going to do about it? That's what the discipleship groups are for. How do we know what God wants us to do? And then what are we going to do about it? And it's here, isn't it, that God would fill us with the knowledge of his will, and that we so that we may live it out, those two things. And it's in the everyday. The knowledge of his will, I think we tend to make too grand, and we think, well, what is God's will? Well, it's probably revival, world peace. It's probably that you know, this will happen in the Ukraine and all that. What is God's will for us? Like, what, it's like uh, 11.35 now. What is God's will for you Tomorrow at 11.35. Where will you be tomorrow at 11.35? It's a rhetorical question. You don't need to shout out answers. But you might be at work. You might be at home. You might be in school or college. God has a will for you to do there. And it doesn't necessarily be, it won't necessarily be dramatic. It might just be to be more secure in him or that the good that he's going to bring. It might be more secure in overflowing that there is an opportunity for you to uh, kind of put your head above the parapet and help someone or do something for someone. It might be to be kind or nice or uh, calm. It might be for you to uh, stop trying to solve the problems in your own strength and it might be to ask God to help. But the real fascinating bit in this passage in 1 Colossians is this where it says, so you will live a life worthy of the Lord. So what he's saying there is you would live a life worthy of Jesus to live a life to live a life that would be worthy for Jesus to live. So the idea there is at 11:35 on a Monday morning by some miracle Jesus takes over in your life, steps into your shoes and nothing needs to change. You know that that he would carry on exactly the way that you would carry on because you, are, you understand what God's will is in that 
how friendly you compose that email or the, the fact that you think about, just before I finish this email, I'll ask how that personal situation's going on with them or whatever. Because he would do that too because he is, you know, the perfect embodiment of God's love and we're learning to do that as well in that moment. I don't think Jesus steps into your shoes at 11.35. He goes, stuff this email and he goes out and finds some people with demons and casts them out and goes to Exeter Cathedral and makes a whip. And No, I don't, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not commenting on that. I am not making a comment about Exeter Cathedral. Uh, I was just, you know, but we kind of think, oh, well, Jesus wouldn't be answering an email. And I mean, it is right. He didn't answer any emails his whole life. He was so disorganized. Uh, he just did, never got to his inbox. No, but, but, you know, those kind of things. How would he live? How would we live our lives as if Jesus was living our lives? Because he would live our lives. And actually, this is the whole point of what he did. This is the whole point of disciples is we are apprenticed to be like Jesus. Christian means little Christ's. And, you know, Jesus says, um, we've, you put a light on a stand where you want it to shine. And he said, Jesus has put you where he wants you to shine God. So the whole point of being little Christ is the fact that you are in that office, that home, that school. That's where, where he wants you because that's how, for the last 2,000 years, the good news about Jesus has been spreading. So this series, we are going to think about God and how he connects with our everyday life. How in the midst of our everyday life do we know that he is present with us? Do you know, sometimes I find myself praying in the morning, oh God, will you be with me today? And I know he knows what I mean, but it's actually really bad theologically because God is, lives inside me. The Holy Spirit dwells in me. So God is with me. A much better prayer would be, God, I pray that I would live as if I really believed you were with me today. Or God, I pray that today I would be aware of your presence as I go around with you in partnership, co-working together. But I don't pray that. I pray, I pray you'd be with me today because my default thinking is God's somewhere out there and I've got this stuff I've got to do today that I don't really want to do. So could you from over there come down and help me do it? It's not even theologically correct. So we think of his presence in our everyday life, our response to him in our everyday life. How are we living our life open to the nudges and the opportunities of discovering his will as we write that email, as we wash the dishes, as we, uh, you know, go and make coffee and we sneak out of the office so we don't have to get everyone a coffee or whatever it is, you know, those sorts of things. How do we live our everyday life as we co-work with him? That we are to- we're not meant to live under our own resources in our own strength. And he has good works for us to do. So how do we discover these good works and discover that he- it's not just that we have to do them, that he is doing them and we get to work alongside him? How we- do we discover that everything can become worship? You know, this is one of the crimes, I guess, is that the word worship in our church circles has become restricted often to singing and music, and then maybe a more traditional church would call everything we're doing when we meet together worship. But the reality of worship is meant to be the expression of how good God is and the decision in our lives to put him first at all times. And, you know, so we, you get songs that are written. We all sing songs often about all I can give you. What can I give you apart from this song? Because that makes absolute sense to a musician who's writing a song, because that's really special. We don't 
ever tend to sing songs, what can I give you except for this helpful, friendly email <laughs> to my colleague? But those things can be acts of worship if we start to discover that God is with us in our everyday life. And then we want to discover how we are going to live out of, just to live everyday life, how we live out of our own resources. I mean, does, does anyone feel a bit exhausted by being alive and the stress and the strain and all the anxiety? I mean, living, being alive is hard work, you know, and in this culture, and I'm sure it's the same in all other cultures, but there's a lot going on, isn't there? The, the life just wears you down, and I have now hit the age where I can hurt my back sleeping, <laughs> you know, which is so depressing. Do you know what I mean? That is just, like, ridiculous. But the good news is we are not made to live our life on our own, out of our own strength. Jesus is like, God is like, I have all these resources for you. We, do, we need to learn how to depend on them, receive them, and tap into them. And the reason I'm excited about this series is our tendency is to not do this. Our tendency is to separate into our spiritual side of our life and then our normal side of our life. I don't know if this is true, but apparently, so this is apparently, this is a Greek way of thinking. The Greeks had a dualistic view of life, and so the spiritual was good and the physical was bad, you know, and, the, you, know, and you see this in lots of religions, you know, we want to escape, escape the, uh, the physical that is uh, corrupt, and we want to become spiritual and get away, and, you know, so there's all that that goes on. Um, but apparently the Hebrew worldview, the, you know, in the, in the Bible people, was, everything was really connected. And so everything was spiritual. And I don't know whether this is true. I tried to Google it. But I was told that in uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found a... Oh, I've just started talking about this. And then I thought, have I, is this crossing a line? Uh, they found a psalm of praise someone had written after they'd been to the toilet. <laughs> And if you've ever been desperate for the toilet and then trying to get home, that is an expression of joy if you make it. You know, you're like, oh, it's so good. So, but why not? You know, why? So this, is, this was a big problem to lots of people uh, when Christianity was starting out and it still becomes an issue every now and then. Could Jesus, could he really have been human? Because if he was really human, he did all these things, like he went to the toilet and he would have, you know, like banged his head. and all. That doesn't seem spiritual enough for him to be God. But the truth is that God doesn't think like that. He doesn't have this dualistic view of these things about everything. He's, he wants to be involved in everything. He is involved in everything. Nothing is, you know, that is the whole point of the incarnation, that God didn't say, well, I need to be at arm's length from the messiness of, of real physical life but he embraced it fully to become a baby that like babies cannot even control their own I'm talking about toilet a lot aren't I today yeah all these things but I mean that is I mean we just take you know we're coming up to Christmas you know little baby Jesus you know it's just like we just take it so for granted that is like phenomenally radical and shocking that God the creator of the universe would be this dependent little baby that, <laughs> you know, does those things. So we did this once in, um, as, you know, this was a number of years ago when we had lots of different teams that helped uh, to run this Sunday service. And we said, we, we, let's think about how these teams can, 
can push into God a bit. And we were talking about, like, what could you do to be a bit more spiritual in what you're doing? And the team that set up the chairs, we suggested, well, why don't you, or, you know, think about it. And then in the end, they came back with this, like, what we'll do is we're going to pray as we set the chairs out because people are going to come and sit in those chairs. So we're going to pray, be that. But um, what was interesting is the, the people that led their team said, it never even occurred to us. So this is even a, a religious activity, you know, getting ready for religious service. But it was just, this is just what we do. We need to set out chairs. It is a task. You know, it's, it is just a physical task that has no spiritual consequence because we're separating those things. And so if we, even in a church service, we tend to do that, how much more in everyday life? And so... I have said this before, but I, I feel like I'm, this is a real journey for me of just discovering, you know, like to notice those prayers I say that betray this sense that God is off distant and stuff like that. I think one of the most Christian things I do, one of my most significant acts of worship I have at the moment is uh, we have a dog. And so I'm out walking the dog and I've got some dog poo bags with me. He's picking up other people's dog's poo. I just, for me, that feels like an act of immense spirituality now because, you know, t- what I would have normally done is I'd seen these other people and I would have just judged, criticised whoever did that. What kind of person does that? And avoided it. And now I think I feel like this nudge from God, I guess, and I think that is something that is diminishing creation. You know, the order, the beauty in the order that God wants in the world, that isn't that. I can pick it up. It is the most disgusting thing I also do. I don't know why other people's dog's poo is just not as nice as your own dog's poo. Um, So I will pick it up. I hate doing it. I feel awful. There is no public reward. I mean, I've I've just blown it now by boasting to you guys about how spiritual I am. But but no one comes up to you and goes, oh, your status has increased because I've seen you picking up other people's dog poo. No one knows. I'm just doing it between me and God. It's a sacrifice. I feel I'm doing it for his kingdom because his kingdom is about bringing order and beauty into the world. It is an act of worship. Who knew that? We, do, we never sing songs about picking up other people's dogs' poos. But these sorts of things. I believe we will be a more well-rounded, complete, worshipping community when we start to see just the most ridiculously mundane, everyday parts of our lives as God-saturated acts of worship. So over the next uh, five weeks, I think it is, uh, so the video sessions and then when we're in person, we are going to hear from a number of other people. This is why I'm also excited about this. Another other people who are going to talk about this aspect of my normal, everyday, mundane life. I am learning to discover God is involved. I am learning to discover how this is an act of worship. I'm learning to discover how he gives me strength to do this. I'm learning to discover how this is part of his commission to me. So I am excited about us doing that. So we are going to do that over the next five Sundays, and then we'll hit the uh, 18th of December, I think it is, when we're going to do our afternoon Christmas service. (laughs) 